Hey everyone, it's an atypical episode and our Christmas special as we near the end of 2023. Our guest was Anthony Ornato, and it was a very fun episode. As a forewarning, I'll say, if you're only here for the topics we typically cover, I highly advise skipping to part two, which will be labeled with timestamps in the description. As usual, feel free to jump around. Part one is more of a fun conversation covering topics such as voice acting, podcasting, music and music theory, creativity and AI, and making friends as a shy or older adult. In part two, we dive into Anthony's career path, starting as a dance instructor while studying a music degree, and his numerous twists and turns as he balances a life of self-expression and art while also covering basic needs such as paying the bills and spending time with loved ones. Other topics include dance tips for beginners, especially those who are intimidated, learning to ask for help as a newer employee, and recognizing all the secondary cast and support in our lives. I hope you enjoy this one, and once again, thank you so much for listening. Now on to the episode. Can we start doing some voice impersonations right off the top? Like you gotta start <laughs> teaching me how to do some voice acting here. I mean, I've taken like two months worth of courses. I wouldn't say <laughs> I've built up a repertoire of uh, of characters yet. Although I, I did start working on it, I just like a little bit. Nothing that I kind of wrote down and saved, but um, part of our homework for audiobook class was to start recording bit by bit a book that we had already read. So for me, it was called Battle Scars, and it's a Star Wars book. Which Jeez. is, it takes place after, if you've played Jedi Fallen Order, it takes place oh. after that. Oh. And it's actually canon, so things that happen in that are included in what you would see in Survivor. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I started reading through that, and I tried to make up these voices for, like... Are, have you played the game? Are you familiar with it? I played both of them, so... Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, Ruth got really into it, and we just we just took turns playing it, so... <laughs> yeah. Nice. Kind of took turns, as in, like, you played it mostly, and she just... Oh, no, she played a lot of it, and then when it got to, like... Because for me, I'm like, I, I play these games, and I'm very, like exploring like i got to look into corners and she's just very much storyline so mm. eventually she started looking into every corner and <laughs> yeah we both we just took tag team i would play nice. the boss fights <laughs> oh that's cool that's a, that's a cool setup <laughs> yeah they're so, actually uh, really good as a gamer couple <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah that, that, that's a nice scenario i've only watched i think gameplay a few hours here and there my friend was showing me it i was playing in his place but I, I haven't gotten the time to put that on my priority list. I'm very curious, actually. Is, is there something you're going to drop a big spoiler here? Am I going to have to... I'll, I'll avoid that as best as I can. Although, like, it's, it's, been, it's been out for a while. So if you see any spoilers, it's not really yeah. my fault. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, so it's basically like an ensemble cast, per se. But you follow one main character. Uh, his name is Cal Kestis, and, and he has a lot of dialogue with the rest of his, the ragtag group that he goes along with, right? And there are, I think there's four humanoid characters, main characters, and like the additional one or two that kind of pop in and out. And then there's also a little droid that sticks around with Cal. So not that the droid had a voice, but I tried to make a voice for each one of those characters, but also try to find a way to make droid beeping noises to emulate that. I'm but curious sure. too with like the voices, because like, how do you 
Because, like, you hear the in-game voices. So did you put, like, your own interpretation? Like, in an alternate universe, these characters would sound this way versus what they are portrayed in the game. <laughs> I didn't... I, that's a good concept, actually. I, um, I didn't go that route only because... I, I thought it would be good practice alone already trying to emulate a pre like okay, a voice cool. that that exists already. And and I think there are ways where you can try to pick what kind of voice you want to do by I, I think there's like there's a set of traits, I guess you could say. Yeah. I guess you can think of like a grid if you have three by three. So you've got nine squares. So the top three traits, you would line them up with the other three traits and you would just pick that voice or you would determine what kind of voice sounds with those two traits that align there right so you can change them by speed by lightness or if it, the voice is more floaty or if the voice is more like staccato so those are some of the traits but then you can also change your own pitch a little bit like if i'm speaking a little bit more like this or if i'm speaking a little bit more like this these are probably like surface level in terms of how you would really adjust and, and find those voices but yeah, there's so much more to it, but those are, those would be some of the ways that you could do it. And that's how I tried to yeah. adjust, but also try to emulate the accents that the characters already had, which is, it's a challenge on its own, but it's fun. Which character in the cast are you, would you self-rate yourself to be the closest to sounding like? Oh, geez, they were all so bad. <laughs> um, uh, probably Grease. Oh, I that's, think. A, that's a good voice. That's a really good voice. Can you, can you do a grease? Can you do a grease? <laughs> okay, I'm only saying that because it's he's got like growly kind of voice yeah, yeah. where every other voice is a little bit more particular, so that's harder to emulate. Whereas if I just throw on a growly kind of sound, right? It's almost okay. I think you got it. Yeah, yeah. I really didn't. <laughs> so. You convinced me. I don't know who the character is. I believe you. <laughs> You'll find out. Okay, well, okay. I hope, I hope you find out. They're really great games. I, I really enjoyed them and I recommend them. Okay, I was I was actually quite surprised because like Star Wars for the longest time, like I'm pretty pretty big Star Wars fans. I like the universe, but they've always been plagued with, I guess, poor games in general. Like it could always be so much more. Mm. But yeah, like when these games came out, I'm like, oh wow, this is actually this is a solid. Like the storyline for being brand new is, I think, written. It's great pace, and I'm like, oh, this is this is actually a top notch Star Wars game finally. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like they have a pretty good following with what they've been doing. Yeah. And I think what's nice is, at least from what I'm seeing, the characters who have not only voiced, I'm oh, sorry, the, the, the actors who have not only voiced, but have also done the mocap for those characters. It seems like they're getting a lot of recognition for what they're doing. Like I, I see in forums um, or comments on YouTube videos from live. Uh, what was the Star Wars uh, there was that Star Wars, sh not show, but it was like a reveal day where they brought out all these actors. And anyway, you, you hear people talking about the actor for Cal Kestis, like, oh, I hope we see him in Ahsoka or something like that. Because they're canon and because they've done so well, people really appreciate those characters and want to see more of them, which I, I think is great for for the whole Star Wars like fandom, right? Yeah. I only have one question because I was a very big Star Wars geek, but those new <laughs> movies let me down so hard. I oh. loved Force Awakens, but holy cow, the I tried liking the second one so many times and I actually gave it benefit of doubt, but when the third one hit, I was like, okay, 
I can't do this. It's ruining my childhood. But the thing is, I really liked Rogue One and I really liked, what's that movie? What's the show? Oh, Andor. Andor? Yeah, the one yeah. with that crazy speech. Yeah, that. <laughs> Wait, we... Matthew, you can make the speech on air. <laughs> Wait, is it? Oh, you may... maybe you did. I have not memorized okay. <laughs> It's so good. But yeah, I love those deep, darker undertones. But so are... Are you saying that the games actually are more in line with that kind of style or are they more in line with the movies or where do they fall there? I, that's a good question. See, I find that with shows like Andor and then also Rogue One, what I think makes them really well, or I think what is good about them is that they don't follow typically the stories that we get from from each of the trilogies, right? They're more of like seeing what the politics actually do to people and to planets, to the communities within them, how the empire is really affecting the livelihood of people. I feel like we get a lot less of that in the mainstream movies, right? In the trilogies, it's more like following how the Jedi and Sith are coming together and combating but yeah but there's so much more to it than that it's always what we see in the the vertical scrolling text right when it's catching you up on what happened in between and it's usually about some sort of usurper or the changeover from empire to new order kind of thing and that's this kind of stuff that we see in, in rogue one and andor which i think that's it's really interesting to see with i'd say with fallen order and survivor i i want to say that it's like watching, yeah, it is actually like watching Rogue One because it's like seeing what the little people are doing in a, okay. in a way. Like they're not like little that, yeah. per se, but they are, they're a small faction of people. They really just work on their own and they're doing whatever they can to make just the littlest dent um, in the bad guys kind of thing. And it's admirable, it's honorable, but I think most of all, I think because the unlikeliness of having that kind of group together and making it work there's some sort of compelling nature about that too. It's they're like the underdogs, right? And I, I, yeah. I like underdog stories, so it's like that. That's wow. That was such a you were so freaking eloquent explaining all that. Like, <laughs> I, I was like, oh my god, no wonder he did uh, podcasts with the pop culture themes and TV shows and movies and stuff. Like, what was the name of your podcast again? Or, or, so it's called the Scumbar Podcast. Yeah. And Scumbar is taken from Monkey Island. And it, it was a game that it's still around now. But so my podcast, Classic. my co-host, co is that what I call him? Yeah, co-host. Yeah. <laughs> so he he played Monkey Island a lot. I never played it, but I thought that's a cool name because it's we go to this tavern, this, the Scumbar, and that's where we just go to talk and just hang out and, and chill sort of things. Yeah, I wouldn't thank you, though, for the compliment. I think if anything... If I get really, either if I get really passionate about something, then I'll, I might be able to find my way to be precise and concise of how I want to say things. The other end of the spectrum is I might just ramble so much <laughs> and good luck trying to follow what I'm trying to say because it's, it goes off the rails really easily. We love that we, we, we turn this into a Star Wars podcast and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, you imagine you start doing Duel of Fates one by one. <laughs> no, but it's, it's something that I've wanted to ask you, but we we 
when we're exchanging texts, it's like a few days in between. So I don't even have time to really ask you about that. But I, I got a little bit of a gist of why you stopped podcasting. But what would you say are maybe give me two or three things that an aspiring podcaster like us maybe don't know about how hard it is to do. And I think you did at least 20 episodes or something like that, right? That's Oh, we, no, we did. Oh, I want to say we did 100. Okay, sorry. That's my number. So I completely botched that. That's my bad. That's a, no, that's okay. I think there's a good chance that what you could have seen, because we did a couple different series, I guess you'd say, where we had like our generic weekly episodes. And then we also did, oh, I forgot what we called it. But oh, we did it. We called it a movie marathon, I think. Mm. So we each episode was based on and the first marathon we did and only marathon because it was so long was the the mcu marathon so we started oh, yeah. from uh i th i feel like we may have skipped the hulk no maybe we started with the hulk back whenever that was like 2004 or something Holy i don't know how has it been I, that I, long for the whole <laughs> for, for the mcu I, I could be way off i could be way off i i tend to not remember a lot of details about those kind of things about movies i wish i did but a point is that yeah so however many movies there were from hulk all the way till endgame so we did all of those as one one set of uh episodes while also maintaining the weekly ones so we had a whole bunch i, I would say that two to three things that you said are like hard yeah, let's say a beginner that's aspiring to do something like this doesn't even think about and then they get in here and they're like holy cow this is either really hard or time consuming or this is something that makes me want to stop i would say that if you are very grounded in what it is you want to talk about and you know how to keep that consistent from episode to episode I think that's really important in the longevity of it. I think because over time, things will become very natural if you wanted to veer off, you know what to come back to, right? I right. think, and that goes if you're doing it solo or if you're interviewing people or if you have a co-host, I think, yeah, I think having that framework and, and sticking to it or just understanding how that works and being able to maintain that, I think that's probably really important because if you start off and go for a long time without having that framework and you're always trying to find your footing, I would guess that would get a bit stressful, right? Because you're not really sure what's working for, yeah. for yourself, but also for your listeners. You're ultimately doing it because you want to build this community and you want other people to be able to share and learn and know that they have other people that they can listen to and understand and feel to an extent feel close to but if you're not consistent with some things it's harder for everybody to get on board with that i think yeah i totally get that matthew's uh, magical word is relatability he's constantly <laughs> giving me that that i think that's actually a huge part of what we are building here and getting random feedback here and there so you're, you're totally on the ball i might be guilty of trying to do new things all the time but even today i was like just have fun with it man if you're gonna stress over every single little bit of detail what was the point of even doing this then you might as well go back to one of the handful of jobs you didn't like doing before <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly right you, yeah. you want to have fun you're putting all this time and effort into doing it if you're not having fun then why yeah exactly would you say 
you would have done that many episodes if you were solo or did having a co-host help, I don't know, keep you accountable or help to keep the momentum or? Yeah, actually, I would say um, accountability probably was one aspect about it because we did rely on each other to have certain things ready to talk about within our framework. So whether that was some sort of new pop culture news or just like the main topic of the episode, we would we would go back and forth in whose turn it might be or whose responsibility. And sometimes if we were having trouble thinking of something, rely on the other person, just communicate that. And I think and it worked, I think it worked well for us. He had previous experience with podcasts before doing it with me. And so I think he had some of that experience to pull from. So he knew already what worked and what didn't. And we, we met when we went to, we were studying at BCIT and it was almost like instant connection. We would easily just like riff off each other during class or things like that. Or, and like outside of class, we could hang out really easily. And I think from there, bringing that into the, to the podcast, I think that was something that helped, uh, helped make the podcast just run, in my opinion, run fairly smoothly, just knowing that we could just talk like that and riff off each other. Yeah, for my scenario, I, it's hard for me to say how well I could have done if I did it on my own. But I, yeah, I think I, it worked out well because I did it with him. And I appreciate the time and effort that he put into doing it because he also did a lot of the backend stuff. Like he did all the editing. He put together the, I think he actually, did he make the music? He may have made the music. Oh, wow. wow. Like the actual <laughs> intro. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. I, and yeah, so he put a lot of time and effort into it. So yeah, really thankful for him doing that. It was funny because you hit on a note here that for some reason I want to talk about. I was discussing with an old friend today. He was like, don't you feel you've had that connection? Let's just not talk about like in a romantic sense. Let's say like in a friend. Have you, haven't you like met someone before that you, you met them somewhere and you're like, you just know you can hit it off with them. And so that was the way you're describing your buddy at BCIT. And I feel like for some reason, Matthew, it was like that for us, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was at work. It was just, it was, yeah, I think Drew and I have, I don't know, maybe it's like different sense of humor. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just, I think we just bonded over, what was it, The Walking Dead? Walking Dead. And we would just do random skits. And like, it was open office. We do random skits. And we had these, we might have mentioned this in a prior episode, but we basically had these we had these makeshift puppets with our hands and <laughs> pens and like tech swag. And I think this was during the time of Game of Thrones when it was still good. Yes. <laughs> and we would have the weekly recap and we would just do the highlights of the scenes as the puppet show just between Jew and I. That's awesome. And there's there there this girl, she's a wonderful person, but she's very shy and reserved and she wouldn't really express a lot of emotion. Very professional. <laughs> and she's just sitting through this, but she was a very big Game of Thrones fan and she just lost it like she just burst out laughing we're like oh we finally broke her Drew we broke her. Nice. <laughs> she, just, she couldn't help herself so we've always talked about doing puppet shows after some point <laughs> maybe after Made in Common we'll see no you should incorporate that into Made in Common why oh. not alright so give us a pro tip how would we should we should that be part of our intro or what, what should we do should we get the guests to do that with us Oh, if you could get the, okay, so that means well, if you ever, yeah, if you ever did, I guess everybody in person. I don't know why I'm actually trying to think this through, but <laughs> I think yeah, if you all got together, if you're, it'll, it'll be like the 
pop it on the couch segment or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Like you're sitting on the couch, you're all sitting there and, and just in the middle of the segment, and then everybody has to reach down under the cushion, whichever puppet you pull out is the one you have to voice for. I don't know. So <laughs> that could be a fun little, like that could either be the icebreaker or that could just be like midway through or at the end, just like bonus footage. However you want to do that. Actually, that's a, that's, that sounds fun. Actually. That's, I think that's that goofiness is right up my alley. Like you don't even like know which that. character you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> Spontaneity and just creativity. It's fun times. <laughs> We can get viewers and commenters to submit which characters they want us to play. So we'll get like the wildest crossovers. We'll get like yeah. a Fall in Order character and maybe one of the Game of Thrones characters and Rick Grimes. Just yeah, <laughs> work on all the accents. Then we'll need coaching tips from you for voice acting. Okay, by then I'll make sure that I have those players in my repertoire. <laughs> Rick, Rick Grimes would be fun, I think, if I could get that going. Oh, yeah, Rick Grimes would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, Rick Grimes is one of my favorite characters. I don't know why. I, I don't know if that says a lot about me or <laughs> like, like in all of like is TV anything, show or just Walking Dead. Okay, anything everything. like uh, spoilers ahead, but <laughs> I'm the moment. He, okay, I don't know. I don't even want to say it, but basically, yeah. The show lives with him for me, is what yeah. I'll say. Yeah. So yeah. it was, I haven't watched in a while. Let's say that. <laughs> oh, okay. So you haven't seen the last, I want to say, what, like two or three seasons or so? Yeah. What is it, Matthew? How many? Oh, I think I like post. Well, I know spoilers, but <laughs> <laughs> Rick. I think I did two seasons after that and I just stopped. I think they're still doing it now. Ain't what, what was the name? Benos. Ain't, ain't some like Norman Reedus? I I forgot his. Oh, I'm like oh Daryl. Ain't Daryl yeah. like France now? I have no idea how he got to France. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh -huh. is, that, is that a spoiler? <laughs> I don't know. It, it was just. It's I, just I, so I, many things has happened in The Walking Dead. I'm just. I, I. It's on the bucket list to go back to. <laughs> Yeah, not not a hurry to go back to that. It sounds like <laughs> I don't know though. I actually was contemplating. I was for some reason it was like, again, this is probably saying a lot about me, but it was like I wanted to scratch this itch, this like post-apocalyptic itch that I had of like Rick Grimes against the world kind of feeling, and he's trying to be good, but there's all these shitty things happening, and he's just got to bring the group with him, and he just like, that one scene where he just takes that guy's neck and is like, oh. <laughs> I was like. Oh. Oh, right. It's <laughs> another transformational moment right here. Yeah. <laughs> and his son's yeah. watching. He's like, oh, that's another thing, too, having to do that, like, for your kids, right? There's, yeah. there's that protection aspect, but also a leadership thing. And you want to make sure that what you're doing is still for the, like, the benefit of everybody while at the same time maintaining some sort of integrity in that given situation, which is impossible. But yeah, no, that's crazy. There's a ton of those moments that Matthew and I have reenacted and they'll forever be... Actually, Matthew, we should even bring up this story is uh, we have a mutual friend that Matthew knew before I did and we did a little secret sound in the office. I don't know. Do you want to explain it, Matthew? It's just, it's such a funny yeah, story. Yeah, so we had, we had secret Santa and then this mutual friend, he, he got Drew and then literally he just joined the company i think he's i don't know shy over a month in so he knows he doesn't really know anybody i'm like oh you got the best person i know him he really loves walking dead i don't know go let's like do something stupid with it i don't know can we just put his face on like carl or something like that <laughs> do some like deep fake before deep fake was cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
So he's just, he's, will it work? I'm like, oh, he'll love it. Trust me. It's just effort. And you don't have to spend like too much actual money on this thing. Like, he'll love it. <laughs> yeah. I knew Jube. I wouldn't say I knew you that, that well too. It was, I felt really dirty. I just went on Jube's Facebook. I literally just downloaded every photo I could. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm horrible with Photoshop. So I'm like, I'm going to give you all the pictures that's publicly available on Drew. <laughs> give him a zip file of it. And he has all of it. And then, yeah, he does a wonderful job of, I think it's like, there's a scene. It's like, Rick is like on his knees looking at like the prison or something like that. And Carl's beside him. So Drew, Drew's face is actually Carl. And it just has this <laughs> X circle. It's like, cool. Cause you know, they have the accent. He's like, cool. <laughs> and he gets this really nice frame and he gives it to him. And it was a hit. Everybody in the company just loved it. And I think it just became this thing with Drew. So I think somebody else got you next Secret Santa. So they yes. did the same thing in a different show and it just became a thing. It was Westworld. Oh it was man. Westworld. Anthony Hopkins character. <laughs> it looks so bad but good. If the viewers on YouTube it was like crossed arm Anthony Hopkins looking at this and then my face just like completely not even matching the demeanor of the character. But yeah. it's just <laughs> so bad but great. And I really loved those moments man at that company it was, <laughs> it was great times yeah we need to have an episode just for that just to we need to get some drinks and just reminisce about those times gone yeah anyways well, you, yeah. you do your you do your year-end review episode like you do the recap for 2023 you guys can like i don't know yeah eat and drink while you guys are reviewing some of the best moments that you found from the past episodes and there's another idea there so i keep throwing stuff at you guys but. wow that's a really good suggestion dude I don't know why I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I got to take some notes here, dude. <laughs> I, well, no I, I just remember doing it because that's uh, that was one of the things that my buddy, so his name is also Matthew, that he he put together. There's always a Matthew in a co-hosting <laughs> podcast thing, right? Yeah, that's and a secret. They're very valuable. Yeah, so that was one thing that, that he suggested. And I've noticed that with other podcasts that I've listened to, one in particular, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, The Weekly Planet. It's these two guys from Australia. And like, Australian humor and all that kind of stuff. And they just like joke and riff about whatever it is. And uh, then you get to, yeah, the year end episode. And it's just like an hour of all their punchlines, basically. <laughs> and it's just, it's just really fun to recap and, and listen to that because it's like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that and thinking it back to what that was even like in relation to. And it's like a nice trip down memory lane in a way. So, yeah, hopefully that, if you guys do that, hopefully that works out. I'm legit taking notes right now. Weekly sure. planet. Not it down right here. That's right. Check I'm it out. Come during this podcast. <laughs> this is now your show. Let's switch. Uh, let's switch the layout here. You're going on the left. <laughs> but no, this is great. If you have any more, you can sprinkle them through this episode. Sure. And and also, I just want to preface again. I am by no means like a professional podcaster. This is just from my own experience, and it's not that. I know for sure these things work, but if there are things that do work for you, then that's great. And I'm, I'm happy to be able to offer those kind of suggestions. And that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's funny because in terms of podcast tips, we've been, so I've been experimenting with, I don't know if this is going to rub you the wrong way or if you're going to appreciate this. So this is going to be funny, but I've been experimenting with stable audio. I don't know if you heard of that. No, it, it actually is uh, damn it. No free plugs, but it's like, you heard of stable <laughs> diffusion at all? No, it's, it's a generative art with AI. I don't know if you've seen some of that, but okay. the same group did music. So you can actually sign up for a free account. You can type a description and I don't know if you use chat GBT, but you can basically prompt it like that. You can be like three, four time hip hop, 
piano solo, blah, blah, blah. You can write a sentence and it'll create a piece for you. And so I was experimenting with that for an intro piece. I was like, man, I, I don't have the skills. Like I would love to write, uh, maybe you can help me with this. Maybe you can help us write like an intro theme. But I was trying to crank out some samples with uh, stable audio and it actually was quite good. Yeah. Because uh, I thought it was going to be complete crap. That's probably why. Mm. Uh, maybe not good, but it was passable. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe that's a topic. What do you think about AI and something like music? You think that's, is that like a no-fly zone or what is that to you? I think in terms of what you're looking to do, not particularly having that kind of background in music to put together the theme, but knowing that you want to do that, like how else do we go about doing that? Right? I think that does seem to be a valid way to do it. I'm, I think I don't know enough about how the AI scene is working exactly, because from what I understand, it's based on previous information that already exists, and it's just extrapolating or extrapolating and and putting it together based on the way it seems is best fitting the question that's been submitted to it in that sense is it stealing i don't know because it's still creating on the spot is it not I, yeah i don't know how i i think yeah if i knew more about it i could probably say a lot more but i what i do know is that and this came up in our the audiobook class i was taking for voice acting that there are there are companies that I think that are when you audition for them, like you send in uh, a self tape that you've done, you've recorded yourself, and then they will then take your voice and submit it to AI for being able to basically create their own voices and create their own recordings and things like that. So it's taking away from the real people being actually being able to do it and submit for themselves and get work. So that apparently has become a no fly zone for them for voice actors because you want to advocate for everybody else that is also trying to work as hard as you are to get that work. So in terms of using it for that kind of gain, I can see obviously that's that's a no. But I don't know. How about the creativity part? Let's zone in on that because I want to ask you about like music and, and dance and stuff later. But mm -hmm. in terms of do you think, because you you said it, you, the, the AI is operating on previous historical data and extrapolating. Mm -hmm. But there is this, I've come to realize that a lot of musicians are also realizing this, is that sometimes they think they're creating, but they're actually just hearing like a previous tune and a mix of them. And then when they put it in, into their composition, they realize, oh my God, I just plagiarized like four artists or something so is yeah. it inherently creative or is it what is it what is music like in that sense yeah and i think that's something that i don't even know i could truly define in terms of uh, i think it's the uniqueness right i think that's what we're trying to to suss is that or to suss out uh, is what you're creating so unique that it's not based on anything that came before you and nothing else that comes after you will be the same and I don't know how likely or even plausible it is to to do something like that because a lot of music is borrowed, like a lot of music at one point when you create it is borrowed from something that came before it. I don't know if there, if I could say truly there are a finite combination uh, of chord progressions and putting melodies together. But um, yeah, like, I don't know if this is a good example. So Ed Sheeran, 
and I'm sure other artists have done this publicly too, but Ed, Ed Sheeran was, he did an interview where he said, um, give me a guitar and I will play like 20 of the top hits right now with the same chord progression. Mm. And so <clears throat> the people who were interviewing him just named random songs from, I, they might've been from like different eras or different genres or whatever. So they didn't necessarily stick to one year of top forties or top, top hits, but he just, yeah, they, they listed or they said a name of a song and he may have just had to change the tempo a little bit, but the chords were all there. And I think that was basically just emphasizing that a lot of what, a lot of what you'll hear today is something that has already been um, used in some sort of different or variation or combination, right? Yeah, I don't know how plausible it is to do anything that's 100% unique. So I think that's what I was trying to get at with the whole AI thing. Like, it almost seems to me... I hope musicians aren't wanting to kill me <laughs> for saying this, but I feel like AI in that sense is doing the same thing, right? I guess what it just comes down to is where is the credit going towards? If you yeah. are, if you're borrowing a substantial amount, then should that artist be getting credited for that? And I think, yeah, if it's substantial and but to what degree do you cut that off? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. It's uh. Man, there's so much. I'm sorry, Matthew. We're gonna might get a little music nerdy here. They, <laughs> please jump in with questions because, as you know, Anthony, I took some music theory lessons and did the video game music boot camp. So what you said, like, there's a chord progression for all the music theory nerds out there that a lot of video games use, and it's like the Mario cadence. Are yeah. you familiar with that one? Yeah. I, it's funny because they name it the. So shout out to the Video Game Music Institute, but. So they name it the one, or sorry, the 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 MVP, most valuable progression, basically for video oh, game music. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was interesting because we were trying to come up with names for it, but anyways, it was just funny because we were learning all these video game tracks, and the instructor, a phenomenal guy, great teacher, uh, shout out to Eric. But he's he's explaining all these tracks, and he's like, "You see, this is another Mario Cadence. You see this, another Mario Cadence." <laughs> and then he's like, every single time we go through another track, he's like, "Guess what this is?" And everyone's like. MVP or Mario <laughs> Cadence, and it's just it keeps popping up over and over again. And I was like, so "Oh my what god!" Is the Mario Cadence? Is it just like a specific riff of the tune that everyone just remixes and everything? Or how would you explain the chord progressions or harmony to a layman? <clears throat> I'm not good enough um, to. So yeah, so the Mario Cadence, first of all, it's a progression, right? Like it's a yeah. chord progression. It's not specific to a melody. So yeah, a melody would be something like when you hear lyrics in a song that is sung in a melody. So you, it, it'll go up and down and things like that. And that kind of sustains throughout verses and choruses. Mm -hmm. um, the chord progression is like the, it's like the musical backbone of how the song gets to travel from beginning to end, if that makes sense. So I think a common thing that you'll hear is in the in a verse, there will be four chords that will be played, <clears throat> and you might sustain one chord for one, one bar, for example. And in that bar, a melody will be sung over four beats. You generally hear the chord being played by the piano or in combination with the bass would also be playing part of the chord. And so they're, it's almost like they're laying, they're laying the groundwork for where the, the mm. melody gets to fly over. I don't know if that's like a good analogy, but... Way better no. than I could have put it. Yeah, it's... I get the sense of it now. <laughs> it's, it's, this is a funny example, though. 
I have another musician friend and we always joked about the guile theme. You guys, I know Matthew knows it. You know the guile theme? I would just say that theme is actually quite popular. So I wouldn't put it past a lot of people knowing that theme, but I was looking at the, the sheet music for that and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And he's like, yeah, don't you know the baseline for that? And I was like, no, I've never noticed the baseline, but musicians seem to get that really instinctually because I had to re-listen to it to actually get the baseline of that song. Because I don't know, Matthew, do you know what it sounds like underneath the melody beyond the... I don't think so. I don't yeah, think me I... neither. <laughs> and so that would be like, the baseline would be a good indicator of what the harmony is, what they call it, right? Anthony? Oh. Like the harmony or the chord progression and the harmony be behind it? Yeah, so the I, <clears throat> harmony would be part of, yeah, like the chords that you're putting together and like the bass typically will... I don't know if this is explaining it correctly, but yeah, it when you get them all together, there are harmonies involved with that chord. The bass typically will be the tonal note of the chord. So it's the main, each chord has almost a main note and then subsequent notes that help it form the quality of it. <laughs> it's hard to, I don't know how to explain it without being like too technical, but, yeah. but basically, yeah, like that there's a, like a bass will usually follow some sort of, it'll follow the chord progression by playing always like that, that main note that I'm talking about. Not always. But a lot of the time, and that's where, that's how, that's how musicians can find their way through songs when they know what, if they hear that bass, then they typically would know what chord it is. So if they want to play over top of it, then they know by hearing that bass note, what notes they can play that will match with that note, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's how I was explaining as well. That, and it's funny because I don't know how many people I'm pissing off by the way, because I'm such a... Keep in mind, I'm such a novice at this, but it was it's just a newfound hobby. I only learned for like two months, but I learned a ton. <laughs> and it's like, these are things that you just don't notice, I would say. You could probably, when you hear it, you're probably like, I know that song, but you don't, you only hear the melody usually of most songs. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it was always so weird for me to wrap my head around the concept that there was more than the melody and to... And to a lot of people, is this right, actually? To a lot of musicians, the harmony and the underlying chord progression is actually more important. Is that too strong of a statement? <clears throat> I guess it depends on what you mean by important, because, I don't know, I find everything is important. <laughs> Every, <laughs> like, the, the reason why everything is playing together is because that's how it's meant to be presented or portrayed. But I guess if you wanted to say that for, for having that framework of the song then I guess it is really important because otherwise, if you wanted to, yeah, if you wanted to figure out some sort of melody or harmony on top of that, or imp like if you ad lib, you have to know, it's almost like having boundaries. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think of it that way too. It's, I don't know why I think of it now. It's like a nice little snug blanket wrapping the melody and keeping it cozy. Because yeah. without the harmony, the <laughs> melody is just shouting into the void, but the harmony wraps and keeps it going in a nice little tight package. I don't know. That's how I imagine it now, but maybe that's the wrong way of imagining it. No, I like that. I like any kind of analogy that makes you think of, um, well, you were making me think of food. I was thinking of a, what are those, like pigs in a blanket kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> like as, as you started rapping, I'm like, yeah, food, of course. Where else is my head going right now? Anything that has an analogy for food, just go with it. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting because that's another interesting topic. Food. We love talking about food here. Is that a, do you have another sneaky little hobby that you, you like cooking or what is it about food that you enjoy? 
Oh, geez. I used to hate cooking so much with a passion. Like I would get so frustrated, so angry. I think because whenever I cooked, I wanted to go by a recipe because I don't know what I'm doing. So I, I need some sort of instructions and I would do my best to follow it, but it would just either it would take two or three times as long to make, or it wouldn't taste nearly as good or I would burn it or whatever. Or if I'm trying to do, because if there are multiple aspects to it and I got to cook on two different stoves, but then also get something in the oven. It's just like, it's way too much for me to, to grasp and <laughs> do adequately. Basically, I'm just putting myself in over my head. But yeah, so in, in, in the first few years of me going through all that, I would always get so frustrated. And then eventually, I think it just, I think in time, I just started getting more used to it because I just kept doing it. And nowadays, whenever I do it, I'm looking forward to the next recipe that I'm going to try because I want to see how accurate I can get it and also how close to the estimated cooking time I can oh, yeah. get to. Um, so nowadays, there's a little bit more satisfaction. And I also get more like the satisfaction from being able to do it and more satisfaction because if, if my, if, big if, <laughs> if my <laughs> wife and my daughter enjoy what I've cooked, <laughs> if, if that happens... Okay, I got to bookmark that recipe. I got to remember exactly how I did it, my ratios and everything. So yeah, so I would say nowadays there's more of a thing. I wouldn't say I'm like a crazy chef or anything because I always have to follow some sort of recipe. I can't really be creative on my own and expect it to be good. Yeah, don't be around me when I'm trying that. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. I'm terrible. We must have like, some basics with cooking, right? I always, I, I think I started off the same way as you right like i would follow recipes it would take forever and it wouldn't turn out but i think over time you just get the feel for it because like sometimes you look at a recipe like why is this person putting so much salt here i'm just going to tone it down and it'll turn out all so, yeah recipe cooking i still think is more for my adventure side but for let's say meal prep mm -hmm. i call it like very much like the passive cooking where it's like i'll just buy a whole bunch of chicken and you could just look what seasoning you have you just eyeball it as long as you're not over salting things you can do that bag it up marinate it or something and then just mm -hmm. like bake it and then it's you're not really actively cooking anymore because it's you're just putting it in the oven and you're waiting for half an hour and you're done <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, honestly i think that's a really smart way to go it's efficient but it's also I don't know. I assume that what you put together, you end up liking to an extent, right? I, mean, like I you... don't think it's as fancy as like a recipe. If you get like good solid review recipes, they turn out like, like it, if it goes according to plan, it turns out pretty delicious. Right? Yeah. But if you go to Costco and you get like the, the Montreal chicken mix and if you just <laughs> season that chicken with it, is it going to be great? I don't think it's going to be mind blowing, but it's not going to be bad. Like it's, yeah. it's a decent meal that required hopefully not too much effort but mm -hmm. i guess there's just the sense of how much seasoning is too much because that might not be so obvious until you either under season or over season a few times mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and that yeah, exactly that's the thing that comes with time and like experimenting yeah. and then if you get a chance to being able to I, I don't think you can entirely do it if you're baking chicken but if you're doing something like a soup or even a like a homemade pasta sauce oh. as it's simmering you get a chance to taste it see if it's got that flavor you're looking for and then either add some things or um i can't really take away stuff but <laughs> um but yeah you, there there are all those opportunities where you can experiment just a little bit more and then you get that you get a chance to learn from what it is you're 
altering in how that, what, how does that change the result? So it's like a fun aspect that you can get to once you're a little bit more comfortable. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm a terrible cook, so I'll refrain from commenting on any of this. <laughs> but the way you're describing some of the cooking, it almost sounded like the, the way of uh, cutting it down to the estimated cooking time was almost like perfecting it like a little video game there. It's like, it's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, one one phrase that we have like amongst our mutual friend and uh, and, a, and a, a few of us guys, yeah, it's it's beat the game, and it's <laughs> and it's not strictly it's not explicit to literally playing video games, but it's just whatever scenario it is that you are going through. Like, how what are you going to do to to beat the game, and how are you going to achieve it? What what are you going to alter? What are you going to change? What are you going to learn? in order to make that happen. So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, but yeah, beat the game is like that overarching thing <laughs> that comes across a lot when we're trying to deal with things. Beat the game, title the up here. No, <laughs> sure. No, okay, that's actually, I wasn't even gonna go this way. This is a very interesting segue though, because our mutual friend obviously is where I learned to meet you. And one thing that has always, it made me feel very warm is because when I first met him, it was, I didn't know much about like his life and friends outside of school. And he's a very charismatic person, right? Oh yeah. And the thing is, yeah, he introduced me and a few of our friends to you guys and you have a very tight knit, like brotherly group. And it's always, yeah. I love that because I can look at him. Let's call him Jack. And uh, let's call him Jack. I don't know why. I think All that right. Name. Sure, but, Jack. But Jack. I love like, Jack. Great guy. Very charismatic. Jacked. Um, <laughs> but I get this. It's like, oh, I know that if he's having like really shitty times, he's got his bros behind him and it, it makes me feel good because he's such a genuinely good person but I, I think the question for you is there are some people out there that really struggle to let's even say make a couple close friends let's say even one especially during the pandemic and covid there were a lot of people who came to me i was fortunate because i actually feel like i strengthened a lot of my friendships over that and we may talk about that at some point or it's in a previous episode but mm -hmm. i think can you speak to a little bit of that magic? Like, how did you guys form that group? And is there something that like someone that's really shy or introverted, how did they find something like that, that, that backbone, the harmony of friendships? Like, how did they find that? Well, so our story generally is that, uh, yeah, there's, there's what, five of us, I would say is, yeah, like this core group and three, three of our group are actually cousins. Um, take that as you will. Like cousins can be super close, like siblings, or they can be pretty distant. Everybody's got different relationships with their with family and extended family. We're not without our times where you'll see the argument here and there, right? We're not super perfect, but I think I want to say we are like minded, and we are, but we're also very different. There are a lot of things that we can learn from each other and a lot of things where we just automatically agree with each other. And it's, there's kind of a comfort 
in both, um, knowing that you can have these similarities and differences and just get along so easily. And I don't know, I think I wasn't actively seeking to find this core group of guys that <laughs> would end up being like, yeah, they're, it's, it's so hard. To, I can't put a label. I can't just say they're my brothers or my family. They're, they're like so much more to me than that, really. And so I think, yeah, ha having that, it's obviously like, I feel very blessed to have that. If I were to try to go out and look for something like that, I don't know. I guess you'd, you get to know enough about yourself, yeah. I would say, to say that if you meet somebody and you're hanging out with them and something about them makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel safe, makes you feel like you can open up to them and be your true self. Like I, the I weird think, self comes out, right? Yeah. And if they're like with us, there's like no judgment. Like we expect that kind of, we expect each other to be like super goofy or super beyond whatever, right? Yeah. We, we know exactly what we are. And so it's almost like, finding the ideal partner yeah it was just reminding me because we actually touched on that earlier but it's you can't just go up to someone and be like hey you want to be bros it's you could and it might not work but <laughs> you have to expose yourself to a large number of people and then by chance it's like oh you know matthew loves walking dead let's make a I it didn't start like that, but I actually start. I legit started being weird in front of Matthew because he gave me that chance and that vibe that I think he'd be down to see me act stupid. But I don't know if that resonates with you or if you have anything that's similar to that or like, yeah, it's just so hard to make, especially as an older adult, I would say. Mm -hmm. And even when I say older adult, that could be early to mid 20s. That's not old, but it's adult, right? Yeah, and I think it makes a difference when you talk about that age range because when we're in elementary school and high school, we are put into groups and large groups of people for majority of the day. And up until we're about 20, that's the majority of our lives where we've just been surrounded by so many people. And if you talk about it that way, it's like a numbers game, right? Yeah. You're passing by all these people. How many of these people are you going to form some level of relationship, whether it's a very tight group, a very tight, strong relationship, or a very surface level, like acquaintance level kind of relationship. And then after that, you start specializing. You go to post-secondary, whether you go to college or university. And yeah, I think people, you you get into these smaller groups of friends because of how the course works. And everybody's very, everybody tries to be very focused on their studies, want to be social to an extent. So I feel like if you are the kind of person you were originally asking, like, about if you're a shy person, how would you go about yeah. trying to find that? And I think that's where it comes a little bit more towards you got to know yourself more and how it is. If you can tell yourself, I would be comfortable to talk to this person in this setting, then hopefully that's a setting that you can create or make happen somehow. If you... I want to say if you meet somebody online, like playing games. Yeah. I've seen, oh man. Do you ever watch those like, reels where people will meet for the first time after being like COD buddies playing <laughs> online and that's how they met and they had never met each other, never seen each other in person for like years. And then finally they meet up and it's just like, 
everything that they've had online together is now with them in person. And they're just like super stoked to finally be meeting this person that they actually already feel connected with. So, I mean, that's one method, I guess you could say, if you're that kind of person where you need that kind of that kind of platform in order to feel safe, like by meeting somebody online and you have the similar interest, you're playing this game. Yeah. And that's how, that's the best way you would describe yourself to anybody. I'm a gamer. I'm an online gamer. That's what I, that's what I am. That's what I do. I'm sure there's more to it, but if that's for you, how you would describe yourself, then maybe that's your tool for being able to find those lasting relationships. No, a fantastic example, actually. I don't know. Was it you, Matthew, that told me like you met your guildies for the first time in wow or was that someone else i don't know that i think that might have been someone else but i have a common story like it's it's a friend's brother i think he he was really big into runescape i know runescape's a very big community and then he, he met a lot of friends there and yeah i think it was it was quite funny because he was studying to be like he was going into the field of recruitment and he just so happens to know that his RuneScape buddy for two years is a Google recruiter. And he knew <laughs> that he was a recruiter. He's like, why don't you, I can refer you to Google. And now he works as a recruiter at Google. That's now. Awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. It's That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, like, I don't know, like even like for me, it's like when I play online, like I still play online games, but my interactions, I probably should be more personal. It's just, I don't know. I, I still treat it very different from in person. So it's mm -hmm. almost like I play with these people. They're a good player or they help get the good loot or whatnot. <laughs> and it's that relationship is maybe just more of, I don't know, like mutual agreement. It's like, you help me get this epic item. I'll help you get that epic item. But yeah. aside from that, I don't go anywhere past that. It's sure. I might know the real name, but it's just, I hear all these great stories where that is a good avenue, especially in today with all this technology. It's like, why would you treat these relationships that very differently? So what if it's behind a keyboard? Like a lot of that interaction is probably just as meaningful in person. That might be controversial, but technology has involved, right? <laughs> I think you could build lasting relationships that way. Do you think it has to do with the stigma? Like a video game? I think games? it might be with a stigma. I don't know. I think we're, I think we're all in the similar stage like age group so i don't know if you were like hey i met my significant other or my best friend is from this virtual virtual video game world they'd be like oh you stupid nerd or something like that <laughs> i think there's a, <laughs> i think there is some type like of years ago, i don't yeah. know embarrassment or negativity around it but i don't know about nowadays though because like, you i just look at the dating scene right i think i don't know I, i'm just making stats up right now but i think there's a good chunk of people actually dating because of online they're not going to the bar or the club and meeting their significant other right and again it goes back to that number games you can just hit a larger pool through online of convenience versus i don't know sleuthing through bar to bar on granville street right yeah. so i don't know sleuthing from <laughs> oh, bar no. to bar. i want to i want to see somebody sleuthing oh no bar to bar <laughs> Just like peeking through, like, oh god, we're Just gonna cancel up and down the gravel strip. <laughs> Who is that guy sleuthing on gravel? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think we'd get in this point, but it's so funny because you mentioned this, and you remember there was that huge phase with the metaverse, remember, with mm. good old Zuck talking about that and VR. Mm -hmm. And I, all I could think about was like maybe because I'm old compared to like Zoomers and stuff. But I was like, the metaverse is already here. Like, 
Discord, amazing communities. People mm-hmm. do share very intimate details uh, about themselves. I would even attribute it way back to when we were growing up. I think we all have the same chat, like ICQ, MSN oh, yeah. Messenger. <laughs> I don't even, or half of the listeners going to even know what those are, but MSN yeah. Messenger was my, <laughs> oh, yeah. was my metaverse. It was amazing. But mm-hmm. I guess the key difference is meeting someone random. That's maybe the stigma actually is either cultural or societal because a lot of those like catching an online predator or don't talk to strangers, they'll scam you or they'll do worse things to you. And I don't know if that plays a part into why people are so hesitant to, I know for me, I could admit that did play a legit fear as a young person, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have. I wouldn't think it's no different nowadays, right? If you, I don't know, meet an overly nice person on the street, it's almost like you could still quote unquote get scammed that way. Like maybe internet just gives you a little bit of that, I don't know, barrier of safety and getting caught if you're exposed. But I don't know. I view it not not much different from like actually just meeting people randomly out out in the quote unquote real world, right? No, I think that's totally a good point. Without actually knowing the statistics of how likely you are to get scammed by meeting somebody in person versus meeting somebody online, it there is just there's that risk regardless. And yeah, I guess it's just something that in a way is always good to just be mindful of that it could happen and that's how you it's like knowing the What's what's BCLC's slogan? Something play within it. <laughs> oh no! Know your limit God. and play within <laughs> it. One of our <laughs> listeners is gonna. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's gonna have a ball with this. Yeah. <laughs> but point is, you. I think in almost all situations, I think it's safe to say you should know what you could potentially be getting yourself into. I think there's a fun aspect to it. It's oh, what's gonna happen? There's oh, yeah. like that mysterious. Uh, lingering question that how close am I going to get to figuring out what's happening or else is it going to be like okay nope that's enough kind of uh, uncertainty I don't mind pulling away from this right now it's really up to you to define what it is that you are comfortable with with working within in terms of those limits yeah person to person yeah there's just oh I don't even know if I want to mention this on air this might get cut out of it but (laughs) there's when I went back to school for that program that me and Matthew went to for computer science, we were different years, so we weren't friends then, but I met a very, he's one of my closest friends, I would say today, and that weird boundary, so everyone was tiptoeing around each other. There's a little, they have these stupid mixers, and you can meet each everyone, and there's, there were some people that were, I don't want to make them look bad. They're just a little bit more either aggressive or makes you feel uneasy. So this friend that I met, I knew nothing about him. I actually thought he was a douche. If you were listening to this, <laughs> I thought you were a douche. And uh, so he, he like, and he knows this. So it's funny. And so he's like, can you give me a ride back home? Cause I, for some reason we somehow knew we were living in near the same area. And at that time I was such an uptight person. I was coming off pharmacist career so i was wearing like button shirt and everything this dude's like, like flip-flops and beach shorts and like who's this douche okay fine i'll drive you home and then we're in the car and then we're just talking and he's like yeah that one of that was very uncomfortable like that dude had uh what's a nice way to say it like very disturbing demeanor around him and i was like 
Oh my God, I totally get it. I was so uncomfortable that it's, it's almost like uh, if you go to a meetup and this person's like trying to sell you a house or something, that kind of, vibe. Mm. It, it, but it's just really off-putting. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. I can't believe he just said that to me. Like, <laughs> Keep in mind, this is all very PG, right? We, we actually were going pretty unfiltered there. And I was like, okay, wow. This person actually took the leap and said that out loud, but he got the vibe that I could handle it. I don't know what that is. Like, how do you, is that EQ or some sort of emotional awareness? Because it, you need a little bit of a sixth sense to know you could do that. It's almost, again, I don't want to make this comparison, but it's almost like dating. When you go in for the KSL, <laughs> I'm talking about like a platonic relationship here. Keep in mind, it's a platonic kiss. Yeah. Platonic yeah. kiss. Exactly. Yeah. So, but how do you get that? I, I don't know what that vibe is when you're finding friends it's yeah it's just it's magic i don't know i mean like maybe for him or in other people who have situations like that maybe it's just they're maybe they're not thinking about or they're not really realizing how the other person feels but they're just going for it because that's just how they are yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe they're just very up, up i don't know though we were we actually did reflect on this and it seemed like we just knew we that each person could handle it and i and the thing is all these little social cues they're so hard to describe and you can't give an algorithm or a, or a step or a list of steps to do to be do these 10 things you make the best friends in your life like, i don't know mm. how to it's one thing that i i don't want to say is not teachable but it's something that i find is very tragic man because again i want to tie it back to like when i look at a tight-knit friend group like what you have with the five mm. guys and jack good old jack <laughs> <laughs> like, the, it's so you, I don't know if you guys ever feel this way, but I kind of, you kind of want everyone else to feel like they have that, but you can't really do that, you know? Yeah, absolutely want everybody else to feel what I feel with my group of friends. I, I think, yeah, in terms of, there's no formula. I, and I don't think there, there can be because life is, life for everybody is constantly changing in like all aspects from day to day. So if there were ever a formula like centuries ago or whatever, if, if anything, it, that formula would have started getting stretched and stretched and stretched just as the years just went by. I, it's like congruent with all the different types of personalities you'll find in people these days, right? I think a lot of what I say, I feel like it's a generic thing to say or a write-off statement, but sometimes... If somebody might ask me what I think about, I can't really think of a specific situation, but if they think, if they ask me a comparative situation between people or whatever, or what do you think this person might think about this? It, it, I guess my underlying answer will always be, it depends on the person, hmm. right? It, for you to, Drew and Matthew, to have had that great connection with doing your puppet shows, the highlights and everything. <laughs> That's because you guys each have that characteristic about you that values that, right? And that, so that's why it works. So individually, you still are your own unique people, but you happen to have these things that overlap. And, and it's the relatability thing that Matthew was talking about, right? You have that relatability. Um, Made in common. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like... And this is another kind of generic statement that I, I think about sometimes, but it's that we're all on this planet. We are sharing this planet. How can we not have 
commonalities between us? How can we not have things that make us relatable? We're, I don't know. It's, it doesn't make sense to me that for all of us to be on this planet and not being able to find those ways to work together or find ways to be relatable. If that were the case, if everybody were completely disconnected from each other, like how would the world be running? It runs because people can get along. So it's like saying there is hope for people to do it. It's just being able to find the way to do it. That's to harp on this a little more. There was an interesting article and I've shared it with countless friends. So they're going to hate me for bringing this up or maybe they'll (laughs) love it. But the article basically states that if you count back in generations, I think the furthest you can be from someone is like a 50th cousin. So I always make this facetious joke that like, we're all cousins. Right. Right. Why do we hate, like, why is there so much hatred and stuff? Like we all derive from the same single cell organism. If you believe in evolution, which I don't know if everyone does, but not ignoring that, I sincerely believe that we, as humans and even animals and honestly, atoms and all that, we are sincerely all cousins. And it's wild that such hatred and unwillingness to acknowledge each other as equivalent exists. And you really hit that point for me. I don't know why. I just really had to say this. And... Yeah, I don't know. The article is from a blog called Wait But Why, and I can't remember which one it was, but it, it was basically Tim Urban, the writer, was detailing, look and look at your family hierarchy. And this is, he details it out and does nothing. It's like, at most, your 50th cousins from someone. I find that stuff fascinating anyway. That makes yeah. me want to do um, Ancestry and Me. Is that what? Or 23? Or no, what's it called? And there's an ancestry... DNA submission thing? Yeah. Yeah. 23 yeah. and me or something? 23 and me. Yeah, that's nothing. the other one. Yeah. One, one of them just, I think, is there a current or recent lawsuit for them, like a breach of data or something? Oh, like dude, that? that's exactly why I don't oh. like, mean my internet yeah. privacy, dude. I, yeah. I know you're more open than me, but that stuff frightens me, man. I don't want someone to. I, I am open, but that thing, I'm just, because there's too much money drives the world. I'm just thinking an insurance company will buy this company out one day and it's <laughs> oh, over. <yes. laughs> it's, over. <laughs> it's actually over. There's a reason why they're giving this kit. It's a Black Friday sale, 90% off. Because <laughs> they want to clone you in the future. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go. can finally, you'll really be him. It won't just be Photoshop. <laughs> so I guess back, maybe to go back, like one of the nice things that we like to talk about is career path. Can you give us like uh, a rundown on how you started and where you are now? Because I think what you studied originally is different from where you're at now. But I think that is that's a cool journey that we want to learn about. And it's that three times over studying one thing, <laughs> going into that, and then starting another thing. It's like story of my life, basically. I'm all about that, man. I can't wait. Let's hear it. Yeah, I'm all about that. I'll, I'll try to be as concise as possible, but I think because it's branched off in so many ways, it, it can be a little bit difficult to even explain properly. But so high school, I I never really, I wish I did, but I never really thought as hard as I could about what I should be studying afterwards. I just looked at how my grades were for certain courses and all the music ones. It was like a, everything I did really was in music, but I also enjoyed doing it. So for me, it was just a matter of, oh, that must be what I should study. It wasn't like, I know I want to study this. It was just like putting two and two together in a way. Yeah, I studied, got a music degree in saxophone. 
in the meantime, I had started. So I actually started dancing when I was 17. I took a class because one of my friends, she wanted to take it, but didn't want to go alone. So asked me to join. After one year, she stopped, but I continued because I, that was the one thing was like, oh, I know I love this. I'm going to keep going. Amazing. So, yeah. So sorry, I went when you deeper. say dance, what type of dance were you doing? Oh, sorry. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, like, I didn't know much about dance. My girlfriend's really big into dance. Oh, wow. There's just so many genres or styles. So well, what was your style? <laughs> so first style, I guess, would just, it was breaking. B-boying, breaking. The more like commercialized term would be breakdancing, but that's not really an accurate label for what it is. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. I hope... <laughs> my, from what I've learned, I'm hoping that I'm actually expressing it correctly. But yeah, like b-boying, I believe was the original term for what it is. And I have just gone on to call it breaking only because I don't want to say it's b-boying and b-girling because both mm. genders and everybody can do it. Yeah. So I call it breaking. And then eventually I also took hip hop classes and with hip hop, Hip hop is it's a whole culture on its own. It's not just a dance style. It's not just the music you hear, but there's so much more to it than that. But within within that genre, I guess you could say of dance, there's popping. I include breaking in that. There's house dancing. There's locking. I think you would even consider voguing and whacking as part of that whole subgenre, I think. But anyway, so a, a little bit of everything is what I mm. learned. So I was getting pretty deep into that while I was studying music. And after I finished my degree, uh, and I did a practicum where I was teaching. And oh, cool. I didn't really enjoy the teaching aspect. Um, and so after that, I just decided, like, I've put a lot of effort and time into dancing, which I feel like I can make something out of and i i think by then i might have also i might have also started teaching as well at the same studio that i learned at um this is also the studio where i met my wife i'm just gonna sorry just to yeah. clarify one thing yeah you started dance at 17 so you were teaching dance while doing the music degree is that i think so i think i it's hard to i can't remember the exact time because uh, my music degree I did it over the span of five years. So I think roughly by the end, maybe by the fourth or fifth year, I was teaching like beginner. So it was very beginner, like young kids, like the most like, foundational stuff, nothing super intricate, but it was, that was my gateway into teaching more and more at that studio. So eventually I would teach the teens and young adults with various levels of, of dance background. And then there was a, like a hardcore training group, like hip hop dance group that I you had to audition for and then you met twice a week three hours each day and we would train we would do foundational things we wouldn't just learn choreography but you're learning technique you're learning about how that works with music too there were there was a lot of elements to it and I, I really just enjoy being able to use my body that way it was very freeing if anything I know a lot of people for them dancing is a big self-expression kind of thing and I think in some ways for me it, it was that too I felt yeah this is how I feel normal or feel present when I'm dancing. So yeah, that, that group that I trained with, eventually that same, the director of that group formed a professional group out of some of the members, but also some other peers in the scene. And so we ended up, I, I would tour around with them uh, around BC to different elementary schools and high schools on the island or interior BC. I'd be away 
from home weeks at a time and we would perform morning afternoon and our morning lunch and afternoon kind of thing sometimes we would have three shows a day and oh, it's an hour wow. long thing and it's really tiring yes, by the yeah. end of it i was like i don't think my body can keep up with this <laughs> it's that's demanding mind you that's you know that was my experience other people would have experiences where it might not be as physically demanding but still very rewarding and for me it was so fulfilling when you see the kids just light up and be very interested in what it is that you're showing, sharing with them and wanting to understand how they can get into it. For me, that was like, oh, this is amazing. I wish I could do that forever. But my, I just knew, okay, my body, I don't know if I can take it. And then I, knowing that my goal for the future was to have a family, have kids, I, I wasn't sure. I had no idea how I could possibly make that work. And in the end, I decided okay, maybe I should try to find something that is a little bit more stable, I guess you'd say, or something that's a little bit more consistent. I wanted to get into physiotherapy because I thought I like helping people, but I also am fascinated with how the body works. And, and I think there's some aspect of the physicality from dancing that I think I could have attributed to wanting to learn therapy. I tried to get into kin at UBC for a couple of years, but it was always full and it was hard to... I think was what was really difficult was I would take the prereqs or the kin courses that I needed at Langara and I'd fly through them and it was like, oh, this is fun. I love it. But no matter what I did, I couldn't actually pass the barrier to get into UBC where I would be able to actually study physiotherapy. And the Mark's thing or the, what, what do you mean you couldn't pass the barrier? I think it was that I wasn't, it's really hard to say what, what did work and what didn't work for me. I assume that it's probably because I didn't have enough maybe volunteer work outside of what I'm doing uh, in that class okay. that is showing. I never really knew exactly what is the what's the main set of things that UBC advisors are going to or UBC whoever's doing the critiquing or accepting people like what is it they're going to be looking for to accept you. Then eventually my wife and her family they brought up the idea of BCIT knowing that it's known for trades and that could be a very practical thing. And so I, <laughs> where am I now? I've gone from music to dancing to trying to do <laughs> physiotherapy. Now I'm at, I hope I'm being as concise as possible. But <laughs> I, I think this is actually a good point to take a pause because there was actually one burning question I had for you for, you mentioned that, I'm just imagining a listener right now, this, hearing you talk about dance and how that was fulfilling and you talking about how it, it shouldn't come across as negative, but I could see how someone might interpret it as negative that you, in a sense, stopped dance, both because you knew your body's limitations, but you also said for a more consistent career. Mm. So I think my question for you is, were there other reasons that maybe perhaps someone like you in an alternate universe or a younger version of you would have stopped was it just those two things? If those two things weren't a factor, do you think you would have kept going in that universe? Like in terms of if I didn't, which factors weren't in yeah, play? The two factors I'm thinking of are your body letting up yeah, and that you wanted something more consistent oh, to stay at home more for potentially, not potentially, but you have a family. So mm -hmm. I think that, well, another I don't know if this was a cop-out reason, but I, I also told myself that maybe dancing the way I wanted to, I wouldn't have been able to... I, I think if I continued some sort of dance career, 
that maybe I would have had to dance only the way that whoever's hiring me would want me to dance. And then I don't get to express my way or how it is I want to dance. And that's, I think it's also a very, that's at a, a very immature level of thinking because I had no idea what it would have been like to actually go that far. I think a lot of on self-reflection, I think a lot of the reasons for me not being able to either go through with something or just changing might've been because I just didn't understand what it really would have taken to make that work and also get the other goals that I wanted, which I feel like I have a little bit more of an understanding now. Back to your question, another version of myself. I mean, if, yeah, if there's another version of myself that kind of knew what it really would have taken, yeah. then I think, and yeah, knew what it would have taken and how to get there and make it work with dancing. I think I probably, like, maybe I could have found a way to do it. Do you like, have, sorry. It's okay. I'm just going to, I think maybe I made it a little too open-ended. So maybe a better question would have been, were there other limiting factors? Like, I think a common conception of artistical careers is that it's not financially stable. I don't know if that was a factor. And I'm imagining for someone listening, they might think, of course. But I also want to think that the other side, so I want to ask you, I guess the first question is, were there factors like that? But also the second question is, do you know of someone who did play the alternate version of you and is continuing to do that as their full-time career and is finding fulfillment and is loving it and is has gone against all those common conceptions of having that as a career? I think I want to say yes. I'm not very close with them, but I have seen, I've seen people who... I guess the two that I'm thinking of right now, maybe there are more that have stayed local, but the two that I'm thinking of now, they moved either to LA. I think one actually moved to Vegas for a bit, but wow. basically they moved elsewhere. And mm. I, I also know that they, they started families and they are still dancing. So that said, that to me means that it's definitely possible. And it's just a matter of what it is that it looks like for them to have it and what it took to, to get them there. And I think the financial thing, obviously, that is, I think that's a relevant and important thing to think about. Okay. Because whatever you do, you're, you have to hope that that's going to be able to sustain you. And if you want a family, then you have to hope that's also going to be able to sustain your family. And if it doesn't, then what are you going to do? Can you make that work? Just solely by doing that alone or do you have to find like a side hustle or or find another yeah. avenue but still within that genre well, anthony i think one thing i really want to ask you in particular is like i've watched some of your dancing deadbeat ninjas shout out and <laughs> nice. you're intimidatingly good our mutual wow, friend our, our mutual friend jack he's got some moves but i know you guys are all very uh gifted in the the music and the dancing arts but for you my question is more I'm playing the part of someone that like, it actually is, it, it actually is part of me too. It is intimidating, especially as an older person, older people might roll their eyes, but late thirties for me, it's harder to start when you're older in a way, maybe not, but also when I was in my twenties, for sure, it was hard to start dancing and, and think about that. Maybe there's a bit of stigma, but also it was intimidating and I keep using that word. So mm -hmm. 
can you give some guidance to some people out there that were like me and maybe a little shy and intimidated to pick it up as a hobby or even a career? I don't know. Who knows? I would say there's probably multiple things that you can consider. I've, I recently went back into taking some dropping classes because a friend of mine that I used to dance with, uh, she was doing the same. So just asked me to join. And one thing I noticed was that in the dropping classes we did, the age ranges were much more varied than before when I was younger. Like it used to be a little bit more concentrated, but maybe that was just the classes I took. And I guess I feel now there are more classes geared towards just an open level concept where whatever experience you have, come in and just have fun and don't worry about being good or bad or nailing the choreo, but come in here to understand your body a little bit more. So I think there are more courses or more classes that are like that, where it's not so much about you having to um, reach a certain level within the time that you're in that class. Um, so yeah, that's one thing. I think in terms of the intimidating aspect, if something like going to class just on its own is a little bit intimidating, you could also, if you, there are ways where you can learn outside of class too. People will go to Robson Square. I think that's probably still one of the big hotspots. Maybe not now, because I think in wintertime they turn it into an ice rink, but Outside of those times, it's open space where people will go and you'll see people not just dancing, but I've seen people do yoga. I've seen people practice the, uh, the Chinese, yo, what's it called? The Diablo. I can't remember if I'm saying that, but Chinese yo or Asian yo. Okay. Um, people working on like boxing, juggling. It's basically just an open space for people to, to work on whatever it is that they want to do. And that's a chance for you to meet somebody if you're, open to that where you can ask them like hey that's I, I like what you're doing can you teach me that or or if you have a friend you already know that dances go with them to a class or go to robson square or find a place where there's like an open space for learning or these days we have the best technology that allows you to learn from home like you can <laughs> youtube honestly, yeah exactly like you just really i think when you start off i don't think you really have to be so worried about picking up bad habits just by self-teaching mm -hmm. when it comes to dancing i'll go back to the idea about self-expression like when you dance your body is going to move in a way that is different from everybody else different from the next person different from the next person and you can eventually get yourself to the point where yeah you can move the same as other people but you'll also still be able to move in your own way and i think that's probably one of the best parts about dancing is that you get to be you doing that. So if you were to just pick up, yeah, pick up your phone, look up, look up some sort of dance video or like a move and, and just try to copy it and go from there. And just, I, I think I've seen people that have just done that where they have just gone through a bunch of different like moves, like one by one and just like learned each one. And then eventually just got, so much more comfortable with their body that it just allowed them to go a little bit beyond that and give them that confidence to be like, Hey, yeah, I can do this. Let's do more sort of thing. Yeah. I, I think there are ways where, yeah, even if you're intimidated that if you give yourself a chance to do it at home and you enjoy it, then I think the joy is also going to be something that's going to keep you going, like coming back to it too. Right. If you know you're having fun and you love it, 
then you're most likely going to want to try it again and learn more and find more ways to experience that joy. Yeah, hopefully that helps. <laughs> oh, that's great. I think YouTube was one of the things I was wondering, oh, someone that's like super shy and like low self-esteem, low self-confidence, like practicing in front of a mirror and watching YouTube video. Maybe it's a bit cringe, but it's a way to get started, right? You just need to build that snowball up and get started, right? At some point, like if people are going to judge you for trying, like that's, that speaks more on them than anything. It haters oh, for sure. Hate. <laughs> <laughs> they just jealous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, and that, that's a good point. If you, like you, if, if you want to do something, you just have to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll never really know what's going to come out of it if you're just waiting and thinking and deliberating. But yeah, the, the, the best class. way for you to find out is... Sorry? No, I was just being facetious. I was like, waiting for the perfect class. Oh, exactly. Yeah. If you're always waiting, like, when is that going to come and how are you going to know that's the one? If you yeah. just... Yeah. If you just take the step to just... You dip your toe, that's enough. And yeah. that's enough to, that might help you yeah, get that ball rolling and just get more out of it. Yeah. I guess like final quick question on this topic is is there like a specific style that will be easy to learn for a beginner that can branch off into some of the other styles maybe like what's a good recommended first thing to learn you would say that's a good question um i would say the the thing is all the dance styles that i've done um, they all have some sort of foundational technique to them, which I, I think the actual core principle behind everything, like in between all of the moves that are happening, I think for all of them, they're actually uh, challenging and it's easier to just get used to moving your body. Okay. So I would say as a beginner, like maybe two things. One would be to... Rather than trying to learn a style, maybe just try to learn about movement in general by doing like learning choreography. Because mm. sometimes choreography, um, if you take like beginner ones, it's just like general movement. They don't try to. I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay, so if you're popping, um, so popping, like long story short, would be you flex your muscles or whatever it is, a part of your body that you want to do like on the beat. So it'd be like like. It's a short flex and then a very quick relaxing after that. So that is like the, that's like the core principle with the popping, but there's dancing in between, right? So the dancing is your movement. So then I think that's a lot easier to get a grasp of first, as opposed to learning the, like the popping, because it's so much more technical. That'll take more time. So I would say, get your body used to movement in general. And then I think it, it, it probably would be easier to pick up the technique after once you have gained more awareness of your body. So yeah, either by doing choreography or I would say it overlaps with choreography. K-pop is a really big thing right now, right? right. If you like, if you're somebody who likes BTS and you really like their music videos, they have practice videos where they like post on YouTube and you could just try to copy them. Like BTS like, themselves? Yeah, oh. yeah, they have practice videos on YouTube. So it's basically them like, perf it, it, I guess it's as if they were to perform it live, but it's just like in their rehearsal space. I don't know. I find like if there's something that you know you enjoy doing, then that might be a, one thing to help you gravitate, gravitate towards it. If you like BTS 
and their music videos and you want to learn to dance, maybe start with trying to copy their moves. Maybe that would be a way for you to understand your body and pick up choreography at the same time. All right. Heard it here first. <laughs> Everyone go BTS. Yeah, gonna subscribe to BTS now. <laughs> oh, it's too late. It's, I am there. Yes. Five hundred million. I don't even know. How many? I don't even want to guess how many people Billions. are following them. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so I think feel free not to answer, and maybe we could pose this as like an unfair question, but. Putting the onus on you now to speak on behalf of that dancing career industry. Because mm -hmm. one of the conceptions I got from the music industry was that there were a lot more issues than I thought in terms of how people were compensated and got paid that I wasn't aware of. So I don't know if you feel comfortable answering this or if you're able to throw a dart and speak on how rare is it for someone to find that as a career and do it and financially sustain themselves while doing it. Because I know you, you spoke about, oh, I think you called it immature, but it actually is a, I don't know if mature is the word, but it's a responsible way of saying, oh, if I actually want to follow my dreams, I, if I work for someone, I actually might not be able to. And maybe that's the only way for someone that's in dance to sustain themselves is to work for a mega conglomerate. I actually don't know who runs the, the dance industry. So I don't know if you have like, explain like I'm five or a quick rundown of how difficult it is or how non-difficult it is for, or how many misconceptions there are. I think it's going to be difficult for me to say, having not actually really attempted to have a career in it, I, I don't think I can really, I don't think it would be fair for me to say on behalf of people who have, because what they've actually gone through is, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But in terms of misconceptions or stereotypes, stereotypical things that you might find being a dancer, I don't know if it is still the same way now, but I know that at the time when I was training and much more deeper into it, that you would come across those things where, hey, we're looking, like if, if it's safe or somebody's filming a music video or needs a dancer in this TV show for whatever reason. I don't know if it's like a low budget thing or like a student led thing or whatever it is, but sometimes or often you would find an ad looking for dancers and your payment is like your exposure basically thing. And yeah, I, I think because of that, it just, it created this idea that like dancing as a form of art is not worth paying for kind of yeah. thing and i think that was very prevalent when i was learning nowadays i assume it's still around to an extent i just don't know how much but it, it takes it takes more of the people in that position to stand up and challenge that in order for things to to change take all the time but also i can just completely cut that part because that was a very unfair question but i figured i'd throw a shot at it no um, i think I think it's fine to ask that and I think it's I think it's still good for people to hear that and it's probably because it's not even just like a, a dancing thing but maybe anybody in a creative in a creative industry that there there are many ways that they can get taken advantage of because they just don't know. Yeah. And I think that will be the case because it's it's not like this generation of dancers are the only generation of dancers moving forward. There's going to be new sets of people coming in learning about this craft but also learning about other forms of art and we don't want them to be taken advantage of either right if you're putting your 
time and effort into making this like building your craft, something that you enjoy doing. It's great that you enjoy doing it. And if you feel like you could do it without getting paid, that's great. But you should get paid. You should in some way be compensated for what you are doing because you are you were contributing to somebody and they ultimately will be benefiting off of that. So what is it that you're getting from that? I think that's a very like black and white way to just talk about that. But I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah. It's yeah, like that a, was the thing that I always shocked me was just like why like exposure. It's ultimately there's some business that's profiteering from this, and really just paying the wage is really just like what because our margins are smaller because we have to pay them. It just never made sense. It's like and some people be like, "This is your passion or a hobby. You shouldn't get paid for that." But I'm like, ain't everybody raised up to do the job that they love? And if they yeah. do find it, it's like, yeah. do I just work for free because of that? Like, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, like, I never knew why it applied just for like dancing or music. It's just like, it's so unfair. And I just, yeah, it was horrible how this was like the norm, or maybe it is still the norm right now. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, it, for us to be able to talk about it here, at least we can keep that conversation going for those who, who need to hear that or for people who want to know what it is that, like, hey, if I'm getting into this, is that what I have to look forward to? Thing, yeah. It's a it's an interesting lesson you have to learn because it reminds me of oh man, I have too many conflicting examples right now. But one of the things I want to raise is like there's sometimes shows where like it's like a coming of age story and the protagonist has like this idealistic sense of what's going to happen if they follow through, and then they go through it and it's like a rude awakening because their reality is you don't get to just do it. There's a price to pay. And I think a lot of the stories, especially I'm going to call it like the Disneyfication because of Disney. And it's, <laughs> they, they portray it as the common slope of you, you're flying and then you experience one hardship and you go down and you overcome it and you're flying again. But that's sometimes you don't get the end flying, right? Sometimes you come down and you might have to just come back to level. And there are ways to, like we were talking about here, to avoid being taken advantage of. And you have to be able to stand up for yourself, which is a very common skill that is hard to learn, mm. especially from specific cultures mm -hmm. and societal pressures. And when we're talking about, like, I'm going to tie it back to what we were talking about with the AI music, right? Yeah. Can you prove that this is something valuable? And the people at the top are saying, no, you know what? I'm actually going to pay you one dollar an hour because i think someone else will come and do it if you don't and it's up to you and the group and the industry as a whole to say hey this is not cool mm -hmm. we we deserve better and this is you need us are you going to have a music video with no dancers those people in the background are overlooked like in the music video you got the, it's even gone to the point where they're dressed up in all black or something because they don't matter right but without them it's just the one person dancing right? yeah and 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 even and not just that but i guess it, it's probably in oh yeah i think that comes across in music too and what i was going to say with with music sometimes you find i think maybe nowadays it's a little bit better cuz you'll hear like the main like headlining artist they'll say oh and and welcome my bassist or and this is my give it up for the drummer and things like that but sometimes you might really just focus on the main uh like the main artist that you're there to see and you really don't care about anybody else you don't care that there is a 20-piece band but then there's also somebody who choreographed 
the dancers on that stage and somebody who also directed all the visuals. Like there are so many people in the background that put on this giant production, but because you don't see their faces or you don't, they don't get much spotlight, you just don't know. And yeah, it is unfortunate that happens, but it is good when people, like I'm thinking back to seeing Ed Sheeran recently, like a couple months ago. And yeah, he definitely recognized his, the bandmates that were playing with him. And it's great. These guys are amazing players and you can tell. So they absolutely should get the the recognition. So yeah, so it's probably just a thing that in storytelling, in creative arts, I don't know. Maybe. Disneyfication, man. Disney <laughs> Disneyfication. <laughs> Everyone wants to be the protagonist, but then at the end of the day, we are all protagonists, but we're also secondaries for a bunch of other people too. We're not afterthoughts. Like, I don't know. It. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, it makes me feel bad. Like, it, it's exactly what you mentioned. Like the the drummer and all those people. They're they kick ass. Like shout yeah. out to all the background. Honestly, <laughs> you guys all kick ass. I, I know maybe objectively the main person of the group may be more talented or charismatic in some way that's rarer or scarcer, but the people around them, like this amazing person in the lead hired an amazing cast because they wanted top talent, right? Yeah. And it's funny too, because I'm guilty of this and I, I feel it feels bad because at the end of the movie, you get the credits, right? Oh, you stay behind. <laughs> you stay behind. You see, like, directed by. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's a Scorsese movie. Cool. But then there's a thousand names. And you're like, I don't know. I don't give a shit about any of these people. And you're just kind of like, get me out of here. Like, the movie's done. But they're all parts of the pieces. So now mm -hmm. I try to, I make an effort to be like, oh, that's so cool. Parts of this was done in Korea. And parts of this was done in South America somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really cool. I, I try to make an effort to be like, those people, they really count, too. So. Mm-hmm. Huge tangent. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast. <laughs> Pretty much. Where were we before that? Holy cow, before I rudely talked asked you about the dance industry. I think we Oh, oh physio. we were going to go Recapping. into I think we were, we were physiotherapy, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. okay. yeah. uh, return. Let's <laughs> return. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and finding our way back in. Yeah, it was okay. So BCIT, I think that's maybe that's where we left off. So decided to go to BCIT and study. It was a pretty brand new program that they had. It was called Digital Design and Development. So it was meant for a combination of learning web development, so like coding, and then a design. So working with like Illustrator, Photoshop, basically like all of the Adobe programs. So you've got the visual aspect and then you've got the coding behind the scenes kind of thing. But then there was also a business, like an entrepreneurial side. So we were meant to learn about accounting, uh, which actually wasn't that, that bad, like marketing, like selling ourselves and not selling ourselves, but learning how to. <laughs> Give me your only fans link right now. I demand it. <laughs> Where, where's this podcast going? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the point was to be able to basically be an entrepreneur who could get yourself through what, whatever it is you needed to, if you were to be a designer or a web dev. After that, I found a job in digital marketing because I actually, I enjoyed the marketing aspect a little bit more. I thought it was a little bit more engaging in terms of being able to work with other people, which was fun. But I think, I don't know if I would say that it was because of the specific subject matter that the core principle of the company I was working for, what we were doing or maybe because of my position, I didn't really feel like I was contributing to much, even though I 
I, I did feel like I made some form of impact per se, and then also was able to interact with all different types of people because of the nature of the job, which was fun. But I think in the end, um, I did realize I don't know if this is for me. And that happened at, uh, at a very particular time where my dad, who was managing these properties that my grandparents originally owned, like rental properties, he was getting older and wasn't able to really continue. Like I, I was kind of proofing a lot of the things that he was doing and noticing a lot of mistakes and thinking, okay, if this is going to keep running, like I'm going to have to step in. And so I left the digital marketing job and went into managing these properties, which I've been doing for the past five, oh, six years now. Oh, yeah, wow. it was 20, all, all, almost six years. It was uh, February, 2018. I remember it's like when I clocked in, okay, I'm doing this full-time sort of thing. And little did I know that it really would be a full-time job to be basically a landlord and property manager of these rental properties because they're super old, required a lot of maintenance and upkeep, but also the fact that because they were old and grandfathered in some ways, the some things were not really like up to code. And yeah, I, I felt like all this weight of responsibility to try to sort through all of that and make sure everything's running properly. And to this day, still trying to do that. There are so many things going on. Um, but yeah, I've come to a point where I, I knew always from the beginning, it's not something that I ever really wanted to do, but I, I think this is an important thing to say, but I chose to continue with it because I knew that it supported my family. So I, when I stepped into that role, I had been with my now wife for about eight years. And so for us, we knew that marriage was on the table and eventually kids having a home for our family. And we definitely knew that was something we wanted to have. A big part of my decision to, to continue with that job all the way through to where I am now is because maintaining it means I can support my family in that way. As much as I hate the job, as much as it's something that I'm just absolutely not passionate about and something that I just had no training in either. I was basically thrown into this thing where half the time was me trying to learn and understand what is actually happening. So I can now say that I know all the things that I should have done back then to make it to make my life easier now, which was use more of my resources, ask people for more help or more advice or tips or just like a second set of a second opinion kind of thing. Whereas before, knowing that I took on this role for myself, I also felt that I should be the sole person to figure this out yeah. because it's my responsibility. I wish back then I had the foresight to say like, like that, that I would feel this way about it now. Like I would feel deeply against being a landlord. Like it's just not fun. And landlords get a bad rap and especially yeah. in Vancouver. But I hear so, a different thing though. It's keeping you busy, which I think the bad rap comes from the landlord that doesn't really listen to their people. Right. It's almost, like, Oh, you got a leaky pipe. I don't know. Just slap on some electrical tape on it. And it'll be good. <laughs> I got some bubble gum. I just finished yeah. chewing. It just, yeah. You're, yeah. It does. If you go on Reddit, there's bad rap on it, but I think it's underappreciated on the ones that are doing like, they're treating it as like a job and they're providing a service. 
it is it's commendable that if it's keeping you busy, there is a quality of life that you want. I don't know if customers is the right word here, but right. essentially it's you, it's not like you're just like it's it's like a money sponge or anything like that. You you still want everybody happy. It's got to be like give and take for all sides. So mm-hmm. yeah, at least it's, it sounds like it's very balanced in that situation instead of one ended here. Yeah, no, and yeah. you're right. It, there is a good balance that I get from it. I know that in the beginning, I I didn't feel like I could get any balance, but maybe that's the case with any other new job or new career that you start off with, because there's there's this big learning curve to to whatever it is that you're doing, and before you can get a little bit more freedom, you have to work for it. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like yeah, that's where I am now, which is why. So Drew and I had been talking about all these different things that we had each wanted to get into so for him it was music and then i was also told that maybe did you say that you liked it or or somebody else was into was interested in doing the voice acting yeah it was me it was was, yeah yeah Yeah. and so i for a short while like i had always wanted to go into acting because i it was something that i dabbled a little bit when i was younger and i knew i had a really good time doing it and so I, with my flexibility, I guess you could say that I I had more recently after, after the years of trying to get things in place with, with the properties was that I could take time to try some acting classes. And then eventually I, it was also a suggestion as an actor to take voice acting classes just to up your game. And once I took that, I it was like I fell in love. I get to work with this equipment. I get to just be expressive with my voice, try out different characters or or just try different things. And I didn't feel nervous about it. Like we would be standing in front of a mic and you've like on the other side of the window is our, our teacher and the engineer recording. And, and sometimes if we weren't all in the booth and people are on the other side of the glass, so you've got these people staring at you. But I felt so comfortable. I felt so like free to just be and so that's where i am now like i'm still taking these classes but i'm very grateful that i guess you'll say my career as a landlord uh, has allowed me this flexibility to test out these other things that i'm hoping will actually be more of my career if anything a side hustle if that can work great but if i can make that the thing that i truly put all my time into and make something out of that that's what i'm really hoping for at this point yeah, and the way you describe the voice acting school, I'm like floating thinking about it. that. Sounds right up my alley, man. I just want to get in there and make all these silly voices and just I don't know, bring out the golem like come to me, master. Like make all these voices will start coming out. Maybe I'll just get kicked out on day one. We'll see. No way. If you feel the freedom to just go for it, I think that's something the teachers will be like, yeah, embrace that and find ways to fine tune that. And where can we apply that? Right. Like, I think that's one thing that I really enjoy about where I'm taking classes that the teachers are. They're so welcoming, like friendly and warm. Like they're definitely that. But I think the fact that there's just no judgment, like no judgment at all. So whatever it is that you bring to the table, that's you. And let's make that work kind of thing. That's how I feel about the instructors that I've been working with so far. And it's great. Better save the Smeagol then, because I don't want to be pinpointed as that's me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might get, you're one of those guys that just gets the, the nickname. Oh, it's a Smeagol again. And then, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Remember like the office episodes where Michael Scott's doing like improv and he's always doing like the the, the gun? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Michael Smart. <laughs> That's just gonna be me. I actually thought yeah. about improv too. I don't know if I mentioned that to you, but yeah, that, that would have been something that would have been 
I think it would have been helpful for this too. <laughs> oh yeah, you mentioned that you wanted to get into uh, stand-up comedy. Yes, right? that that's a little secret detail that's going to be out there now. Yeah, that was one okay. of my <laughs> sorry. Oh no, don't have to apologize. <laughs> I was I was going to actually say that on a future episode, but yeah, one of my aspirations growing up, and I just remembered this recently, was. I was told I was funny and I wanted to be a stand-up comedian and I wanted to do sports cast broadcast or what do you call oh, them? Yeah. Sportscasters? Yeah. Yeah. Those were my two aspirations. So this is going to be one step in the right direction, right? I get to use my voice now and drop Smeagol voices every now and then, but yeah. I promise other yeah. voices will come, not just that disgusting one. I, I think there's a few directions I want to branch off here, mm -hmm. but... One thing I wanted to return to first was you mentioned that when you took on that job as a property manager, that your younger self, you wish you would have uh, consulted your resources and took advantage of it more and asked for help. What do you think, what could you say to someone right now that's like that? Like, why were they so hesitant to ask for help what was that were there like feelings associated with it were there like some barrier that you felt was maybe it was ego i don't know what do you think that was and what can you say to someone maybe going through that right now i can say ego and stubbornness can be a part of it but i'd say the bigger parts for me thinking back were more that um i just felt this huge sense of responsibility and i think because so my grandparents had both by this time passed and my dad was getting on and, and I, for me to step in, that meant that I couldn't really rely on him for support and resources. My mom also wasn't very well invested in the operations of the, of the property. And so at the time, really, I didn't have any arm's length people other than maybe like our accountant and our lawyer who really, I just would consult for those kind of logistical things. But in terms of actually running the property, I didn't know who I had available. Now I know I can actually ask our lawyer and accountant more things. But at the time, I just felt like I need to be able to get myself to the point where I understand and can execute these things. And there's an overlap thing with, with even working with the lawyer and consultants or the, our lawyer and accountant was that if I ever did have conversations with them back then, there would be a lot of things that I just couldn't absorb. I couldn't understand. So I would take it upon myself even further. Like, okay, now I have to learn that much more before I can even talk to them. Mm. And I think I put too much weight on trying to get myself up to a certain standard on my own before consulting other people. So I feel like that was a bit of my downfall because like, I'm starting from scratch at several like within several different tasks and projects so i'm always starting at zero and then taking a lot of time to try to learn and then consult people and then execute okay next next task back to zero whereas if i had just let myself be okay with like asking from the beginning and being okay to say i'm sorry i don't understand can you explain that again or explain it in a different way if I took more time to do it that way, I think I would have saved myself so much time, so much headache. And I think I also would have learned a lot faster that way too. Having somebody who already knows what they're talking about tell me what they're talking about, as opposed to me trying to figure it out what they're talking about, if that makes sense. 
Oh, it totally makes sense. I, I don't know why that's so prevalent too. It feels like I can personally resonate with it. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you can too, Matthew, but there's something. No, I think it, even with my line of work right now, we I always tell my team is we always, we call it the one hour rule. We're like, I'm in tech and there's a lot of teams very different. It'll be like junior developers, intermediate, senior, but a lot of the time when junior developers join a company or get their first job, right? Uh, they always think they need to know it all. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a tough spot. If you're just coming from school, you're going into industry, the reality is you probably don't know much and that's okay. But mm -hmm. I think understanding that it's okay is scary for most people because I just got hired. <laughs> They're paying me money. I can't yeah. be quote unquote dumb, right? Yeah. <laughs> It'll look bad, right? Mm -hmm. So we always strive for more of a safe space. Give it an hour. If you're still stuck on it, just reach out for help you've looked, thought about it for an hour you're asking questions right so it's not like you're coming out of there being like i don't know how to do it tell me how to do it it's <laughs> hey i've tried doing this i'm stuck on a b and c and it's the, the asking for help is a lot more directed so if, oftentimes when people are asking questions like that it's just very natural there's no quote-unquote judgment or anything like that and I'm assuming it sounds like it's very, like how you're describing it sounds very similar. It's like, you're not a lawyer. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff I don't even want to get into. But hey, you took a stab at it. These are the parts that's not like clear to you. And the lawyers, yeah, that's my job. <laughs> my job yeah. is to give you legal advice, right? So it's, yeah. yeah, it resonated a lot with me here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess I think that, I don't know if I can speak to you in terms of being the new hire person, but... Yeah for me knowing that like there i guess in some way there was still that okay i have to i have to do a good job mm -hmm. otherwise i'm failing at this job yeah uh, and it just didn't take it took me way too long to realize that for me to be good at the job i have to reach out beyond me <laughs> i had to i i had to ask for help tough yeah hey can i call it a disnification again I'm sorry. sorry, Disney. I'm sorry. I don't hate you, Disney, but I'm just, it sounds very similar to Disneyfication here. Like, uh -huh. I gotta be the hero. I don't know. It's I just I I can resonate so much with this. I don't know what it is. Like, it, I I think it's a number of things, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe cultural, but also it's it's a sign of weakness if you ask for help. Yeah, and that's something that we touch on this so much on this podcast. It's actually crazy how long it has taken a lot of us. To begin accepting i can't do everything i need some help the the background character has got to come out and help right? like, like yeah. everyone's a background counter to everyone else i'm sorry so you you're not we're not all super saiyans who go on <laughs> what's a better example <laughs> give me a better example please we're not all arnold schwarzenegger and rambo or something it's yeah. like flying through and i don't know man or like Just, jackie chan i don't know jackie yeah, chan right. yeah it's not realistic man and, mm -hmm. and yeah, thanks for sharing that with us because I think that's a very important topic that we do cover here a lot. And I think an, in the interest of time, I have to say, the you mentioned to me off-air, I think over chat too, that you didn't update LinkedIn. So what's funny <laughs> is that your little property management role is a complete shock to me because according to your LinkedIn, you have a couple of roles there. I don't know if you want to dive into that oh. at all. One was, yeah, oh, I'm surprised I, I left that one out because that... Was it in well, there? I, can, like, I, didn't, I did not see it. I think yeah. it currently it has you working for, I think, the Canucks. Canucks, yeah. The yeah. Canucks Autism Network. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, it still says present? Like yes. presently working? Oops. Yeah. <laughs> that is a little bit not true. Um, so well, volunteer too. Yeah, you have both volunteer and work there. So I was like, holy crap, this guy's doing dual role there. <laughs> and dance instructor too as present as well. You got three things as present. Please ignore my LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I did start off by volunteering with them. And that was, oh, that was, yeah, when I wanted to do, when I was studying kinesiology and wanted to get a physiotherapy because I think the volunteer hours, I thought that would be helpful for my application. And then that actually also became another thing that I really enjoyed doing. So volunteering with the Canucks Autism Network meant going to different kinds of programs, like weekly programs, whether they were sports programs or just more social hangout programs. And we would be typically paired up with a participant, whether they were like, it was various ages, but most of the time I'd be working or I'd be paired up with kids, like anywhere between five to, I want to say in like the teens. And uh, yeah, we would help them facilitate them with learning skills in a safe environment or helping them connect or learn how to be social with, with friends and make friends and, and things like that. And uh, that was something that I also really enjoyed. It was, that was a very fulfilling experience being able to help. It, it wasn't even just like helping the, the kids that were on the autism spectrum, but I think giving the, their families a chance to see their kids have this kind of experience and have fun, enjoy time with other people or doing a skill that they may have not done before. And so, yeah, so I was volunteering with them and eventually I applied to be staff and did that for a while and it was became staff. And then the next role I believe was support team, which was more like overseeing. It was like being like the, the coach and I would have, I would have my staff be the ones who would be uh, paired up with the participants and uh, I would be supervising in a way or kind of making sure that everything's running according to plan. But yeah, I remember that was one of the first times I could say honestly, and I remember telling my wife this, this is not work. I'm getting paid for it, but it's not work. This is way too fun and way too fulfilling to be work. It's not possible. And, and I know a lot of people that I talked to at the same time when they were working there. Yeah, I can't believe I can call this work because it's like the best thing ever. Yeah, and, I, and I've told other people, I've referred them to the Canucks Autism Network because I think what they do is such a great thing. It's not just the tiny programs, but they have big, they have they have a sports day where they get to rent out BC Place. I think they still do this annually. I don't know what happened during uh, COVID, during the pandemic, but um, yeah, you get like all these kids in one arena. You set up all these different kinds of games and obstacle courses, and it's really just everybody's just having the best time. Like energy is super positive, and yeah, just like the most fun that you can have, kind of thing. So that was, yeah, I'm almost ashamed that I didn't even think about that when I was going through my whole list of things. But yeah, that was one of the best things that I've done that I can think of. Would you say you would have continued doing it if this uh, current work of like property management stuff didn't pop up? Would you have stayed there? I think or? there was. So I know that scheduling wise, most of the programs that I did were like evening or or weekends, which kind of didn't really work with being able to spend time with my then girlfriend, but like wife. And if I were to have a, a kid too, then if my wife is working during the day, my 
kids going to school during the daytime, but I'm busy in the evening times, then when do I get to be with them sort of thing? So yeah. that, that was one of my thoughts, like how I don't know if I can keep up this role and have the schedule that I want. And I'm sure if I stuck with it, maybe I could have found a way. I, I, I think I attribute this to another one of those, maybe I won't call it immature thinking, but just not well-developed thinking to, to have the foresight that maybe I could have found a way to make it work. I'm just a little shocked because are all shifts evening and weekends? That's really tough. I think it's because those programs are geared for, um, like a lot of those kids are, they're also going to school during the daytime. So the generally the more available times for them to be able to go to a program would be after school hours. Uh, so that, that tends okay. to be weekdays during the evening and then yeah, weekends. So I, I don't know. I, I think if I were to have made that work, it probably would have been something in a situation where I'd be working one-on-one with with somebody who doesn't have, a, I guess, a day job or isn't going to school. And so that would be the time that I'd be with them. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure what other avenues that there could have been because it wasn't something that I didn't give it too much thought really at the time. It was just one of those things like, oh, I'm in it and I'm presently really enjoying what I'm doing. And yeah, let's just keep doing that until the, the time came where it was, oh, I like what I've been doing now, I don't think it's going to work with what I feel like I'll need later on. So yeah, that's, yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's uh, it <laughs> no a better picture. It, that's tough, man. A fulfilling work that doesn't line up with schedule is really hard. If it doesn't matter what job it is, yeah. Fulfilling yeah, we, a segue now, Drew. I know. <laughs> it's <laughs> to respect your time, too. Amazing segue, yeah, because <laughs> you know this. You've listened to a few episodes. One thing we always ask a guest at the end of each episode is, what is your definition of fulfillment or what does fulfillment mean to you? So please mm-hmm. take the floor. <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> no um, pressure. It's <laughs> I think, um, geez, I think when it comes to being fulfilled, I think that is something that probably will, like, for each person, I think it's going to change over time as you start to understand more about what it is that you want to achieve in your life and and what's important to you. I think because, like, for fulfillment for me, right now that I'm a dad, is completely different from what I thought it was before like before for me fulfillment was going to be like how i'm what am i doing for yeah thinking back to the canucks autism network um, what am i doing to provide for all these people and how am i helping them enjoy their lives and now fulfillment for me part of it and this is not just everything all in one but like one aspect of it is when i Sometimes I'll just look at my daughter and see what she's doing and notice how much she's changed from one day to from the previous day and thinking about um, if I'm making the most minuscule impact in, in her growth, I, I already feel like fulfilled just from that. And if I look at my wife and see her smiling and just like while she's watching our kid, like I feel like for being a part of contributing to making this all happen. I hope that I'm contributing to making this happen and, and continue to happen. But for me, it's very fulfilling just to witness that and be a part of that. Yeah. So that would be one aspect. 
And I don't know, I guess in some way it's, it's, it's more about what is beyond me. It's not just what, and what am I doing for myself to make myself feel good, but what is my role in other people's lives? I think for me is a more a telling way to say that I'm fulfilled or how I would measure being fulfilled, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's thanks for sharing that. Uh, it's it's like oozing with kindness. Exactly. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 people have fantastic answers for this. So I got to say, I'm taking notes and. Uh, I yeah. think everyone's answer is always, it's, there's no wrong answer. No right? wrong as answer, you, as yeah. you put it, right? It's going to mean a lot to different people, but it's always just nice to see this. We've done quite a bit of episodes now. <laughs> it's yeah. just, every answer is always so unique and it's all, yeah. it's always cool to hear it. Mm-hmm. It must be really fun to be in your guys' position where you guys get to facilitate that, right? <laughs> like you, because like I said, I think you guys do a really good job of, well, I think I said this off air, but I think you guys do a really good job of of guiding where the conversations are going in terms of, there, there are certain things that you want to have said on this podcast for the sake of, of the listeners, right? You want them to know that the people you're interviewing are people like them who have, they have their own unique journeys, but not without the similarities to everybody else in some way to make them understand and help them feel like, yeah, like I can definitely relate to that person in this instance or or multiple instances. So I, yeah, I think you guys do a really good job of doing that. And I think it must be fun to be in your position to, in that moment, think about, oh man, what if, what if we, what if we talked about this? Like what's going to come out of that and how is that going to help people kind of thing? So it's really cool. Yeah. That means a lot, man. I think so much for that high praise. I don't, I don't know if we're deserving yet, but we'll accept it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny because I think this is going to maybe drag on a slightly, but I think me and Matthew both really enjoy the interviews. The interviews are amazing. I'm not going to comment too much on the other parts. Like I just, I can't stand social media. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say that outright on this episode. I, I can't, I, it, it's hard for me. Like, uh, what is it? November, like uh, November 23. And maybe one day I'll like, I recognize the value, but it's, it's just like gritting teeth to post like on social media. Like I threw a couple shorts on the channel and I was just like, Oh, like rolling the <laughs> eyes at myself. Like, why am I doing this? But it's like marketing, right? How do I reach the people that need to hear this? And it's part of the game, but yeah, it's not something that fulfills us. This the <laughs> interview fulfills us, but not like the social media. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll end it at there for that tangent. So, Antho, Anthony, that was an amazing interview. It's going to be quite hard to edit this. Actually, you know what? I might even consider making it like a two-parter. We'll see. <laughs> but time flew yeah. by, so thank oh, you man, so much. Yeah. Time, thank you so much for coming and we're so grateful to have you and sharing all those stories and words of encouragement, wisdom and, and everything else. Thanks, man. Thanks for thanks again. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> thanks for letting me ramble on so much. <laughs> we'll have you I come think, on and ramble again. Sure. I mean, I'm I'm down for that. I was gonna say I, I think because sometimes with my job, I'm just like home alone a lot that I don't get a chance to talk to people. So once I do, everything just comes out. <laughs> so yeah, I just like spewed everything at you guys and your listeners. So Perfect. hopefully there are some little oh, tidbits was, here and there. It was all Perfect. good stuff. I really enjoyed the conversation. It felt oh, very natural. Again, it was your natural storyteller. 
Not to uh, say that this you, is all make-believe story. <laughs> Disneyfication, man. Right here. This is, this, is, this is a Disney interview. Uh, yeah, well, thanks so much. And we'll see you again next time. Yeah, sounds <laughs> good. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you.